I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. What happens at each school committee meeting has big implications for our students and our city. And this podcast shines a light on the decisions that our leaders are making. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. Last night's meeting began with Chairwoman Jerry Robinson postponing the superintendent's report to immediately move to report on the Mission Hill School. After a year-long investigation by the law firm Hinckley Allen, the firm found that, per the Globe, the school endangered and failed children for years by overlooking allegations of sexual abuse and bullying and neglecting students with disabilities. This was the fifth report in seven years detailing these incidents. The superintendent recommended at the end of the report to close the school at the end of the school year. When I take a step back and objectively look at the data and the information before me, I make the difficult but necessary recommendation to the school committee that we close Mission Hill K-8 Pilot School and that we do so at the end of this school year. There will be a vote by the school committee at a special meeting on Thursday, May 5th, to address this recommendation. Here is the superintendent making a recommendation to the committee. For me, the facts are impossible to ignore. Far too many children have been harmed and few adults whose job it was stood up to protect them. Those who were courageous enough to do so were either marginalized, shunned, or condemned for speaking out. Allegations that serial incidents of sexual misconduct or assault and persistent bullying and harassment occurred over time and that school staff has failed to follow protocols to properly report and resolve such incidents. We'll get into this at public comment, but the meeting played out on this topic like a tale of two cities, with some thanking the superintendent for her recommendations and others complaining that there had been no transparency and that a decision to close the school would leave them without a satisfactory plan for their children for the next school year. We heard multiple times in the presentation that Mission Hill School failed to comply with district policies and that complaints made by students and parents were ignored. Although five reports have been filed, and a lawsuit settled recently in the last year. Obviously, the devil's in the details. And we have provided links to the reports in our blog. The meeting then moved to public comment. There were several topics that had multiple comments. To begin, there were many public comments thanking the superintendent and agreeing with the plan to close the Mission Hill School, including this one. Mama, guess what? Nobody hurt me today. This is the first thing my daughter said to me after her first day at a new school after transferring to Mission Hill in 2016. Tears ran down my face as I hugged her, and I felt grateful that I could afford to move out of district so she could be safe at school. My community was destroyed when I had no faith in Mission Hill to keep my child safe. From the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you, Dr. Casilius, and team for investigating the Mission Hill School. There were countless incidences of physical and attempted sexual abuse during her years there, and they have all had lasting effects on her, even if there were no repercussions to her aggressors. When I raised concerns, I heard no solutions or little 
attempts at solutions for any of the incidences that occurred, except for what was your daughter's role in it or that she started it. It has taken years in therapy to work through trauma inflicted during my daughter's time at Mission Hill. Her nightmares have stopped. She feels safe at school. She's now thriving in seventh grade. However, to this day, we cannot drive near the street of the school because she will panic and dry heave. It will take a lifetime to heal wounds inflicted by simply attending Mission Hill School. Thank you for your time investigating the incidences that occurred for years at the school. And I just wanna say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Conversely, this presenter spoke defending Mission Hill School and protesting closing the school. Why would you not give the school a chance to prove itself in a more stable year? I know what this school can and has accomplished. And according to many present parents, there is much that is good about it. Were children and parents interviewed about the positive aspects of the school? Mission Hill has been studied by many schools in this country and others. The school has been a model for education in the Netherlands. It has been presented and written about in Japan. It has been the subject of books, films, articles, and chapters. These and other works by Deborah Meyer, the founder, are used extensively in teacher education. Mission Hill has contributed to the lives of many. Its graduates, taught by those same people who have been removed, are an extraordinary group, strong, caring people, successful in many fields, who speak highly of their time at Mission Hill. This history and track record must be taken into consideration. Surely we should be working to improve and continue this school, not destroy it. In addition to the public comments about Mission Hill School, there were several public comments on the P.A. Shaw asking about what happens after next year and the expansion of the fourth grade classroom granted to the P.A. Shaw for next year. Here is a teacher from the P.A. Shaw asking for transparency and engagement while sharing that a meeting set with central office for Monday was canceled. Through an article in The Globe this week, I learned of a plan for a new elementary school in Alston at the site of the Jackson Man in Roxbury and in Dorchester. Is the P.A. Shaw part of this plan? It's extremely concerning to us that we're hearing of this plan through the globe at the same time that our opportunity to speak with district officials is canceled. We fear that without escalating action from our community, we're gonna hear yet another surprise announcement from another anonymous district representative telling us what is happening to our community, just as this happened in 2018. 20 seconds. We urge you to help us secure a good faith meeting with district officials, one in which ideas can be exchanged, not in which a final decision is announced. Our students, our families, community partners, and staff are united in our view that a treasured school like ours should be embraced and expanded, not ignored and shut down. Thank you. Then there is the continuing issue of a permanent home for the Horace Mann School, with public comment asking for transparency and a permanent building for the only school for the deaf in the district. Ross, there was an exchange between Vice Chair O'Neill and David Bloom about this issue of state funding, which came down to the city not getting funding because we checked the wrong box when we applied for funding for the Horace Mann School. Jill, this is absolutely ridiculous. We've been talking about the Horace Mann School for months, if not longer, about where is their permanent home going to be. And we had thought that the district was going to present the Horseman School to the MSBA, the Mass School Building Authority, to build them a new school. And they were told that. They were moved to 
the Edwards School in Charlestown, if you recall, as um, temporarily while their new building was being built. And we thought that was it. Well, lo and behold, over the last two weeks, the MSBA came back and rejected the building plan for the Horace Mann, stating that the district did not prioritize the Horace Mann School for a project. And it turns out with explanation that the district did not, in fact, prioritize a Horace Mann School. And the result of this is there's zero plan. The priority will be the Blackstone School for a new build. And the school committee voted on moving that forward. They also moved voting forward a plan to build a new Otis school, but the priority was very clearly the Blackstone, and there was no conversation about what's going to happen at the Horace Mann School. There's literally no accountability here, Jill, either. Nobody knew, the school committee did not know, the public did not know, that the school district was not going to prioritize a Horace Mann school. Right. Well, and it's it's interesting, right, because they. I wonder if they knew by checking that box that it would be rejected. It just seems like an odd process to go through unless you are pretty sure you're going to get funding. Yeah, it's, it's highly concerning. But the school committee moved forward with a vote to put forward the Blackstone School as a prioritized school. Again, we talked about this last time, Jill. Yep. There, it's really hard here. There are so many schools in need. But when you have a school without a home, without a permanent home, like we did with the EMK or BDEA, we have a Horace Mann School, which serves students who are deaf and hard of hearing. They deserve to know where their permanent home will be now. Jill, on the same topic, over and over again, we hear about facilities. We heard from the Sumner community about their facilities issues and the long-term plan for their expansion to sixth grade. And we also heard from the Boston Teachers Union, and they're asking for the district to include commitments to help fend against homelessness amongst the student body. That seemed strange to me that they were asking for that to be included in their contract. What the BTU or the Boston Teachers Union is saying is we have to have a plan to ensure that we can keep students in Boston, number one. And we've seen this with declining enrollment. And the Boston Teachers Union is saying, look, housing costs are so high. It's causing instability in housing for our families. we got to have a plan for that. That plan should come from the city, Jill. Like that is a city plan and it has to be done now. You're right. It, it doesn't seem to have to get into the Boston Teachers Union contract. But I think the teachers are saying, look, if there's not a plan – we're going to advocate it for any way we can. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, the advocacy I admire. The committee voted on four proposals last night. One of these votes was on the transportation contract, which was passed unanimously, effectively continuing a contract worth about $110 million. Right. More. Yeah. It, after this vote, right before the vote, the, some of the school committee members were saying, OK, so what's our plan for making sure that, you know, we get a better contract in place for next year and so on right. without any answers? So we just rolled it forward. So welcome, new superintendent. Here's the most expensive transportation contract in the country. Uh, good luck. No plan. But hey, Jill, I want to note here, we're, we're, we're almost in May. I guarantee you, we will have massive transportation issues beginning of school next year. The last report of the night, Ross, was an update on the superintendent search given by one of the chairs of the search committee, Dr. Pam Edinger. Yes, we heard an update from Dr. Edinger on the timeline moving forward for the search process. It was announced that applications for the position will be open until May 13th, and candidates will start to be interviewed virtually the first week of June. A second round of interviews will be conducted in person during mid-June, with two to three final candidates selected to interview to the school committee around the end of June. Ross, this is an extremely rushed timeline, and there don't seem to be many concrete dates in the plan. School committee members 
hinted at this problem of timing and finding the right candidate. Here's Mr. Brandon Cardet Hernandez and his exchange with Dr. Edinger. I guess my question is more of a, a comment. I'm still not I'm still not mathematically understanding how we're getting to the final day of June. If we are internally interviewing candidates at the beginning of June, go through a public process by the middle of June, and then we have to... Okay, I, let, I me, just, let, let me attempt to try there, there dates, It might even be easier for like understanding the window of dates that we're talking yeah. about. Okay. Some of it was just like the middle, and I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what that means. Okay, so so when I say the beginning of a month, I would usually mean the, the first or second week. The middle will be like the second and third week, and at the end will be the last week, right? Four, four, four weeks in a month. Let me try the timeline again. So the um we are we are going into the beginning of May. We just posted the position, and that position will be closed um on I believe what we've landed on is like May 15th, which is like a Friday. Uh, the 14th or 15th, because I'm not looking at a calendar. And then at the beginning of that next week, the search committee will do its first, what we call a paper screening, where we look at all the candidates, right? And we narrow it down to a first round interview. So round one is paper screening. Round two is the, um, the, the virtual first round interview, right? Round two for the search committee will be about, oh, let's see what, will be mid-June. Right, so you got about a month to do that work. And then from that second round interview, we will be handing to you, the school committee, the finalists, or two or three finalists. And then we're done. The search committee is done at that point. And then it will land on your lap where you will be conducting then in the middle of June, a set of public interviews. That's a public engagement as well as interviews. They're usually full days. So there's a lot of activities. And then you deliberate after that, and then you would be able to reach a final selection in late June. Does that help? To this, Cardet Hernandez responds. I'm probably left with the feeling like there's not a long enough period for public engagement at that second part of, or the last part of the month. And then also we understand the complexities of June scheduling. And right. so it is, it, it is you know, the timing will be tough. So, and so- then- and then someone accepting, for us, it's also someone accepting that offer with the yeah. understanding that the superintendent is leaving at the end of the month. And hopefully it's not a person who has a job and just gives two weeks notice because that's not the person we want to bring here. So, you know, it's it's a complex window We that probably as a team, we need to be having a conversation about, even if it's a short-term interim, what that would look like. Right. So Mr. Cardet Hernandez wants to make sure that the school committee has time for public engagement to which Dr. Edinger responds, you don't need to worry about it because we're going to do all that work up front. Let me reassure you, though, that the public engagement has been happening all along. And the next part of my report will hopefully give you some reassurance that, that you're not just going into it cold in the middle of June. But there is one caveat. So I do want to note that um, the data shown that the respondents did not reflect the racial, ethnic, neighborhood, and language diversity of BPS populations overall. So we 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 were you know we wanted to put a caveat on that because when we disaggregated the geographic data from those respondents, there were some bunching together of of neighborhoods. 
So respondents were more likely to reside in Jamaica Plains, in Roslindale, West Roxbury, and the respondents were less likely to reside in East Boston, in Dorchester, in High Park, and Roxbury. So Jill, the search committee is engaging the public up front, not to worry, but then again, not really the whole city. Yeah, again, it sounds like we're back to another example of, you know, this tale of two cities. So many parts of the city are not participating in this public process. Are they being solicited correctly? I mean, is this really a public process if we're not hearing comprehensively from parents and caregivers and students across the district? So Dr. Edinger says, don't worry, we're engaging everybody, except we're not really engaging Except for all of these majority, parts of the city. The majority of the city, <laughs> yeah. which is Roxbury, Dorchester, the majority right. of the city is not being engaged. And look, this is just really confusing. This is such a rush. And this is not on time. Let's be clear. We were understanding that candidates would be interviewed in May, that they would apply and be interviewed in May, and that finalists would be announced early June, the first two weeks of June. The point is clearly, Dr. Caselius is leaving at the end of June. Right. The way, and this search committee pointed out last night They didn't say that that clearly, but they are delayed. They're delayed a number of weeks on this process. They were supposed to have collected and interviewed candidates internally in May and then announced finalists in the beginning of June for a public process. That has now moved to beginning interviews in the beginning of June and announcing finalists at the very end of June. When you think about interviewing finalists at the end of June, that's a public process. They visit schools. They do day-long interview processes, and there's a lot going on in June, period, right? right? We have school graduations. Will there even be students in schools when a new superintendent is going to visit schools? We have no idea, right? right? But ultimately, you would also expect that candidates typically may be involved in other employment at the time that they're interviewing. And if a candidate is involved in other employment, they would typically give at least two weeks notice. But these some of these high profile jobs, you'd have to give much longer than that. It feels like the idea of an interim candidate brought up by a couple of different school committee members last night at least has to be on the table. If we're going to go through a process correctly and get a superintendent that is going to be good for the city, we, we shouldn't be rushing. We are absolutely. So I, I would say two things. Yeah. One, listening to the search committee's update last night, we're not sure what the community really wants in a superintendent. In fact, what we do know is we're not clear that we've engaged the entire community. And we don't yet know who we're trying to find. And so no, it is not easy for the committee to make a selection here. They're going to have to do a robust community engagement process with the three finalists to determine who that superintendent candidate will be. So one, we know we have to do a lot more work with the community. And two, we kind of really know right now we're not going to have a superintendent in place by July 1st. It just seems like a really tough timeline to meet. So then the meeting ended with new business. That's right. Dr. Alkins asked how the school committee can better understand the breakdowns in execution we hear week after week after week. He gave the example of the Shaw School meeting being canceled at the last minute, but said there are so many of these issues brought up at public comment and asked what they can do about tracking them to ensure that the school committee knows that they have been followed up upon. Here is chairperson Jerry Robinson's response. I think sometimes we don't know enough about who are the players. So, you know, when somebody calls and says they canceled the meeting and you'll ask who who canceled the meeting and they don't know, 
we don't know enough about the structure. So, and, and, and my feeling overall is that, um, and this is something that I think we've been experiencing, particularly over this last year or more, that parents want accountability. They are going to demand accountability. And what may have been acceptable in the past is no longer acceptable in terms of communication. And that's what happened last night at school committee. Here are some of the questions that we think are worth asking. How will the district support the students, parents, and the staff of Mission Hill School? What are the systems and structures from the district that must be put into place to ensure that our kids are safe in our schools every day? What is the long-term plan for BPS school buildings? School committee members continue to ask this question. The superintendent last year mentioned an RFP to create a campus master plan, which we still have not seen. Will there be a master campus planning process? When will assignments be released for students entering K-2 and 7th grade? Based on the timeline presented last night, what is the plan for the likelihood that the district will need to be led by an interim superintendent, at least for some period of time? And of course, there are ways to engage and get involved. Attend public listening sessions in the coming weeks on the superintendent search to ensure your voice is heard. Continue to demand accountability from our school system by emailing the mayor and school committee members. We'll include their emails in our blog. And sign up for our email list at shawfoundation.org to provide feedback on this podcast, receive updates on our work, and be notified when new podcast episodes are available. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.